What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another new episode of James Baldwin's America. I, of course, am your host, Jesse James, and I thank you once again for joining me this week. I'll be joined this week by photographer and friend R.J. Page. We're going to talk about black music, Baldwin, of course, and photography. But first, I need to touch on the news of the week, and that, of course, is the lack of murder charges against the police that killed Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. It's just another example of black lives not mattering in this country. And more than that, it's another example of how black women are the most underappreciated and abused people in this country. And it breaks my heart to say that because I have put so much of my own trust and faith in black women, whether that be friendships that I have or teachers that my son has had over the past couple years. So I know black women, I know their power, I know their strength, I know their beauty. And to see them be continually disrespected and abused and killed with no consequences over and over and over again in this country makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. And at times, it just it gets so bad that I wonder if one of my friends will be next. And that's scary. Nobody should have to live with that fear. Nobody should have to have that fear for friends or family. But yet here we are experiencing that over and over in America. And it makes me wonder how anybody with any sort of rational thought or intelligence can stand up and somehow say that Black Lives Matter is some sort of a terrorist organization or Black Lives Matter as an organization doesn't care about anybody but black people. And that's the furthest thing from the truth and that's missing the point. The point of Black Lives Matter as a sane and as a group is to put black folks in America on equal footing with white folks. It's not to put black folks above white folks. It's not to put black folks' needs over white folks' needs. It's just to give black folks the same chance, the same opportunity, the same resources that white folks have readily available to them. I'll spend more time talking about this after my interview with RJ Page because there are other things I want to get into about that. And we'll talk about that, the songs of the week, the Baldwin quote of the week, after my interview with RJ. But for now, after this break, enjoy my interview with photographer and friend RJ Page. All right, I am joined today by my friend and photographer, R.J. Page. R.J., thank you so much for joining me today. 
No, peace and love, man. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So first question for you, what is your favorite work by James Baldwin? Um, my favorite work, I, I think I'm going to go with, I'm sure it changes often, but uh, today let's go with um, If Beale Street Could Talk. Not the movie version, but but the book version. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you brought that up because I think, you know, for those that may have just seen the movie, the movie is quite different from the book. Yeah. It, listen, the, the movie was somatically, it, it was beautiful, shot beautifully as a photographer. I can watch that movie on silent and, and be enthralled. But the book to me is, it's just, it's so relevant still to this time. The, the things that we see on the news are things that Baldwin wrote about. And Similar to the movie, when you uh, read the book, it's almost like a movie playing out before you. I can literally see what he's writing as I read that book. So this week, I'll go with uh, Bill Street Could Talk. I know. Everybody I've talked to is literally the same thing. It's, it depends on the day or the week that yeah. I catch them, and it changes quite often. How did you first come to Baldwin and his work? <laughs> um, that's that's a funny question. It's weird. I, you know, I went to Morehouse College, but I can't remember reading Baldwin in college. And I'm an African American uh, history minor. Um, I, but if I'm speaking honestly, um, I rather enjoy hanging out with intelligent women. And I'm sure it was some woman in my life who asked me about Baldwin. So I had to go pick one up, read it really quickly so that I could uh, sound as intelligent as she. Thank you to all these intelligent women in my life. I started with Giovanni's room. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's how I came, came across Baldwin. I love Giovanni's room. To me, it's, it's underrated because... I just, there's so much great work by Baldwin. But for me, I like, I personally can't relate to it because I'm a straight white male, which I guess, you know, the character in there kind of, but there's just something about that character and his inability to love mm. anyone that's always stuck with me. And I just found fascinating that no matter the position that that character was in, he was just so, I think, underneath the surface, so unhappy with himself that he, and couldn't love himself. Therefore, he couldn't love anybody else. Yeah, and and, and I think that's one of the um, one of one of the things about Bible that makes him so dope is that you're a straight white man, I'm a straight black man, but we can still read those works and we can see something within ourselves. Where, where we may have had a relationship where it was hard for us to give ourselves completely or love someone completely. Um, it, it just, it, it speaks to, to the amazingness of, of what Baldwin is and how he wrote, that even we can relate, even if it's just for in a, in a small piece. But, I mean, hell, we're all human, and we all have these, these wants and longings to love, and we all have these wants and longings sometimes to protect ourselves and maybe not be able to love as much as we should. So, yeah, it's just a testament to, to Baldwin, the author. Absolutely. And, yeah, when I first started reading Baldwin in graduate school, within the first month of taking a you know, Baldwin class, 
I was like, you know, I really have nothing in common with this guy other than we both came from a pretty poor background, but there's just something about his writing that keeps coming up that you can relate to different things and see yourself within his work. And I think that's why he is so timeless. And, you know, so many people in, you know, not only across race and gender, but socioeconomic backgrounds, they can relate to him because you can take different pieces of his work and be like, Oh, okay. I can identify with that. I might not identify with certain characters, but what he's saying that speaks to me. Yeah, indeed. Where, where did you grow up, Jesse? I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then I lived in Milwaukee for about 12 years. And then I went to, you know, uh, undergrad in, at UW-Milwaukee and then graduate school at Madison. Gotcha. And I was, you know, as an undergrad, I was interested in Baldwin, but I had never read any of his work. I was uh, African studies minor as an undergrad. So my professors would always talk about him, but we never read anything. Yeah. And as I was preparing for grad school, I was like, you know, I should look into Baldwin. And then when I was enrolling for my first semester of classes, there was a class about Baldwin. I was like, hell, I got to take it. And it literally changed my life. Like ever since then, everything I do, like, at that time it was academically, but now creatively everything I do is focused on or around Baldwin. So, you know, at one time, and I mean, it still is for me in a way at one time it was Tupac Mm -hmm. still, you know, very much is, but you know, Baldwin has gone to the center of that because I think you can look at somebody like Tupac Shakur as an extension of Baldwin, you know, and what he was doing and, the things that he was saying and almost prophesizing what was not only happening, happening in the nineties, but going forward to today, like so much of what Tupac said as well as Baldwin is still relevant today. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that, but to be in, you know, their own separate times, Baldwin really in the sixties, Tupac in the nineties and us, you know, 20 years on from that now and for what each of them was saying to still carry such weight and such importance. And if, you know, somebody would really sit down and obviously read Baldwin, but listen to Tupac's music or read his poetry mm-hmm. and just, you know, be with it, be in the moment and be with that work. And you're like, damn, like this cat was literally a prophet. And he was not only speaking of his time, but of everyone's time. And that's why, you know, with this podcast, I'm so intrigued by artists of any type. Because, you know, I consider myself a writer, but, you know, talk to you with photography, which we'll get into. But, you know, some of my friends that are dancers or singers, songwriters, visual artists, and different, like, I'm intrigued by that. I'm fascinated by how their creative process works and how the world has shaped them and their art. Hmm. Um, So let's get into that a little bit. What initially got you interested in photography? (laughs) So, um, yeah, this is a, 
this is an odd story, but um, I, one day I, just, I bought a camera and I was noticing that I would only take it out when I traveled. You know, once you get all your pictures on a screen and you kind of reflect on what, what you shot for the day, um, you know, I'm, I'm only shooting when I'm traveling, so I'm reflecting over massive, um, the amount of trips that I've taken. And I noticed that I wasn't really taking pictures of the things people typically take pictures of, your, your tall buildings, your, your beautiful backgrounds and sceneries. Um, I was taking pictures of people. I'm just taking pictures of people that I see that, that, that intrigue me. I can do this when I'm at home as well. And so I started walking the streets of Detroit, taking pictures of people. And I had no idea that this was a genre of photography, but um, I, I was talk, telling some photographer, you know, what I like to do and how I thought it was weird. And he was like, no, this is street photography. People actually walk the streets and take pictures. So once I, I, I found out that that was a thing and people actually did it, I started studying other street photographers and then um, it just took off from there. I want to get in in a little bit the different places that you photograph, but as you said, street photographer, you're just literally walking around taking pictures. What is generally the reaction? Because looking at your work, you have stuff that it appears to be, you know, staged as far as, you know, people, you tell them you're going to take their picture and they kind of, some of them pose or whatever, but then some of it, it looks like you're just a fly on the wall capturing a moment yeah but what is usually the reaction of people that you are photographing okay well i i I pride myself on being rather stealth so i can't say that anyone has has ever really um seen me taking their picture or or had an issue with me taking their picture other than there was this one time i was in paris and I took a picture of some African brothers and they flipped out. They were cursing me in French and I had no idea what I had done. But in their culture, uh, it's believed that when you take their picture, you're taking a piece of their soul. So I, I um, had to get the heck out of Dodge with that one. But typically I, I'm pretty stealth. Um, now, some of my more recent work, I... I I recently got in documentary photography. Um, I was awarded a, a fellowship to um, here in Detroit to document stories. So some of those pictures are are more staged, I would say. Um, but typically, when I'm out in the street, nobody is really paying attention to what I'm up to. Let, let's talk about Detroit for a little bit, because at one time Detroit was one of the centers for this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the last couple decades, it's really fallen on hard times, but it's starting to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. What do you notice about the type of people that are either still in Detroit or have now recently made Detroit their home? Because it's not really, I wouldn't say it's high on people's list of places that they would want to go out of their way to live in. Sure, sure. Um, and that, that's funny. It kind of ties into the project that I'm working on now. I'm actually, um, photographing Detroiters in the city of Detroit, um, kind of, 
kind of like a love story to Detroit. Um, the people who are here, people who have been here, um, typically very resilient people, strong people, uh, prideful people, love the city. Um, you're pretty much hard pressed to find anybody who doesn't love Detroit. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's just filled with people who hustle, work hard, um, and, and very genuine. That's, that's something um, I, I hear a lot from other Detroiters. Um, I'm doing some interviews with people from my photography project as well. And I ask that same question, you know, define, how do you describe people from the city of Detroit? And genuine is typically what I get the most. Do you have a favorite between color photographs and black and white? Mm. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Do I have a favorite? I I am from the school that if your photograph, if the color doesn't add to the photograph, leave it black and white. So I guess I would I would lean towards black and white. And the only time I'm, I'm I, I say use colors when it adds to the photograph. Really, you've taken pictures all over the world. Do you have a favorite? country that you've been to or city that you've been to and uh, take um, photographs? Wow. Um, man, that's a, that's a good question. Everywhere I go, um, is different in its own right. I try to go to, um, places where I can see a large amount of black people. I enjoy shooting black life. Um, that's that's what I know. Um, that's what I'm surrounded by. Um, but if, if you're asking my favorite place, I would say culinarily for the food, I enjoyed Peru, probably some of the best food I've had anywhere internationally. Um, I just recently went to Brazil around New Year's. And there's still so much more of Brazil I didn't get to see, but I thoroughly enjoyed what I saw. Um, but man, it 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 changed. I mean, I was in Ghana, um, had a ball. Um, I, I can't I can't pick just one place. I, other than Ghana, have you been to other countries in Africa? Sure, I uh, went to Morocco as well. Um, Ghana, Morocco, and I'll probably go. I recently did my African ancestry, so I'll probably go to Sierra Leone next, um, which is what what turned up for me. Um, as soon as, as soon as the borders open back up, I think Sierra Leone is going to be next. Cool, very cool. I had a question in mind, and I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> no worries. Well, while you're thinking about it, what's your favorite work by Baldwin? I don't think has anyone asked you that on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I bounce again. Essay, probably fire next time. Uh, novel, although a lot of people say just above my head, and I completely understand that. Mine is another country. Really? Um, because I love that he, and I mean, he does this in just above my head as well, but I love that he incorporates the jazz musician mm -hmm. in another country and it's i love how that 
book is set up because the main character is only a small part of the story and trying not to like have spoilers just in case people haven't read it yet the way he writes about relationships mm-hmm. in that book whether it be between men and women black and white gay and straight i find that so interesting and then the other thing about it i would love to know where baldwin was personally when he wrote this as far as like his mind where his mind was because these characters drank so damn much they're literally always drunk in every scene of the book yeah and it's like how can these people survive drinking so much and are they really being them their authentic selves by mm-hmm. drinking so damn much so i just i've always wondered like what masks those characters were putting up to one another because i'm like there's no way you can consume that much alcohol and still be your authentic self yeah i've checked that one out um yeah it's yeah it, it's great so often especially in our political climate in this country we focus on what separates us mm-hmm. having traveled the world and had the chance to see so many different types of people can you speak at all on common bonds for people around the world hmm. I think we kind of touched on it earlier, man, and, and, and when we were talking about Baldwin and his ability as an author to to make us all relate. And I think that one common bond is people's natural desire to be loved. Um, I think we all have that. We all want to go somewhere and feel loved. We want to feel welcomed. Um, and it's only when people's fear gets in the way that that, that may be blocked. But I would say love, man. I mean, I can go somewhere like Brazil or Peru or Morocco and not know the language. But if I greet someone with a with a hello or, a, you know, let them know that, that I'm accepting of them and their culture and I come in peace and mean no harm, typically I'll get love back. So that, that's the, the one thing I would say. And then. Uh, good food is always a great equalizer. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, that brings up a great point. The idea of to really get to know a person in a culture, sit down and share a meal with them. Indeed. That's, and, you know, really especially cool. you like traveling and being able to experience so many different flavors and tastes. Yeah. I, and I think that's, like one of the reasons why Anthony Bourdain's show and, and his life resonated so much with people, he would go places and sit down and have a meal with you and talk with you. And it was just uh, um, an even exchange of love being shared at that table that, that seemed to resonate with most everybody who watched the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. What are you listening to musically right now? <laughs> um, a lot of R and B. Um, Let's see. Uh, 
That's funny. I should say that. And then the last two things I listened to have been rap. Uh, Big Sean's latest album, Detroit 2, for obvious reasons. Um, the latest Nas project is um, amazing to me. Um, but it's typically R&B, man. Um, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Prince. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much I'm in my R&B bag right now where the, that's what you'll catch me playing. Yeah, I... I don't stay up with current music as much as I did a few years ago, because when I was in grad school and teaching, you know, a couple of the classes I taught were music classes, Mm. you know, African-American music classes. So I would always have my students to fall back on and be like, Hey, (laughs) what's good right now? What's new? Um, But since about 2018, I've kind of fallen off on that. I listen, I listen to a lot of Stevie um my wife and i listen to songs in the key of life all the time amazing album like yeah. to me it's one of the greatest albums ever made like there's just so much on there they're not only great songs they're timeless songs mm-hmm. and they just the weight that they carry with them i'm just like again it's the idea of watching an artist create something that becomes so timeless and within such a small space his creativity was off the charts yeah like i mean for one album and then over a period of like five or six years to have three or four albums that were equally as good is just to me that's like creativity that creativity that's not even human like it's otherworldly that one person has that much inside of them to let out and it becomes such beautiful timeless work it's detroit <laughs> <laughs> you know i met I, i'm it was over 10 years ago that i met you yeah. it was uh it was coltrane was your guy at the time when i met you you were a big coltrane head still am um it was funny coltrane was very close to being paired with baldwin for my master's thesis Mm -hmm. um but it just i just ended up going another direction and focusing exclusively on baldwin but yeah there's a lot with coltrane i want to on an academic level i want to explore yet with him yeah um Originally, my idea, one of my ideas was to look at identity in whatever form that may take and use a love supreme to expand on that and, you know, take the four movements and look at each one separately and what it tells us about Coltrane, about the 60s, and about humanity. And then... Alabama and Giant Step, like there's just so much. Like he's definitely one artist that I could just, you know, play his records nonstop and be content with. Another one is the person on the shirt that you're wearing, Nina Simone. Like I love her. Um, like my three, like jazz music loves are Nina Simone, Billie Holiday, and Amy Winehouse. Okay. Okay. And I just 
<laughs> those are my those are my girls. Like I just there's something about each one of them. Oh yeah. That man, like it just it moves you on such a deeply emotional level. And that's one of the reasons I focus so much on black music on the podcast, because to me, there's something really deep and profound there that we can sit down and listen to an album or even listen to a song and have it conjure up in us emotions that can run the gamut from extreme happiness to utter despair and sadness and everything in between just by hearing some words and some sounds put together. And I think Nina Simone does that better than almost anyone ever. And it's because my training in grad school was so much focused on black music and coming from the church. Well, first coming from the slave fields into the churches, then, you know, evolving into jazz and then everything kind of falling in line from that. And just what music can do individually and then bring us together collectively. And I mean, you see it like with the protests, you know, a few years ago when Black Lives Matter first started and then now today, like the songs that are playing while those protests are happening, you have, you know, you have current stuff, but then you also still have stuff from the 60s that was playing in Detroit that is still very much much relevant to what people are fighting for and fighting against today. Indeed. And not just music, man. I think that's, that's the sign of great art. If, if the artist can bring you in and get you to feel what they're feeling when they were creating, I think that's a sign of a good artist. That's part of the reason why, you know, I do focus on artists because I want y'all's point of view on things because you know you're very much of what you've experienced in you know in the past but you're all also very much of the moment and experiencing each and every moment and it reflects in all art so when you're taking pictures of detroit now and people living in detroit now it's a very unique moment in the city's history as opposed to 10 years ago, as opposed to 50 years ago. My thanks again to RJ Page for joining me. Unfortunately, as I was going through and editing this episode, the last 10 or 12 minutes of the interview for whatever reason were unusable and completely distorted. But RJ talked about a project that he's working on and you can find out more information about that project at his website, rjpage.com or you can go on his Instagram page at page rj13 And you can see his work, which is absolutely beautiful and captivating. And learn more about the project that he's working on, photographing 
the city of Detroit and people that live there telling the comeback story of the city. And before I get to the songs and the Baldwin quote of the week, a reminder that you can follow and give the show a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash James Baldwin's America or on Twitter at James underscore Baldwin's. You can email the show with thoughts or questions at baldwins.america at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you're listening from, and please leave a five-star rating. The two songs of the week this week have a central theme, and that theme is law enforcement and the police. And as I said earlier in the show, this week we, of course, have suffered the outcome of basically no consequences to the police officers that shot and killed and murdered Breonna Taylor in her own home. And as I said earlier, this is just another example of this country not loving, not caring about, not taking care of black women. And it needs to stop and it needs to change. With that being said, the first song is Fuck the Police by N.W.A. from their 1988 album Straight Outta Compton. Second song is It Was a Good Day by former N.W.A. member Ice Cube from his 1992 album The Predator. And you need to understand that these songs weren't just about entertainment. Rap in its earlier forms was about informing and educating people of what life was like for black folks living in inner cities and living in a containment culture in which they were always abused and detained and harassed by the police. And these songs speak to that and they offer a moment in time like we talked about with RJ but it's a moment in time that has lived on for 30 years because the same thing is still happening to black folks today that was happening to them in the 80s and early 90s as was happening to them in the 50s and 60s as was happening to them in the 19-teens, in the 1890s, in the 1860s, in the 18-teens, in the 1700s, and the 1600s. The lives that black folks are living haven't changed very much because of the system of white supremacy in this country and having a police force that is the strong hand of the law for a white supremacy system that disproportionately harasses, jails, and kills black people in this country. But don't get me wrong when I say all this about the police. Yes, I know there are good police in this country and in the world. But you know what? These cops that kill black folks, 
or they stand by and watch their colleagues kill black folks and don't stand up for what is right. That is what we're trying to change in this country, is to get rid of those cops. Cops don't prevent crime from happening. They come and they issue consequences for real and perceived crimes. They don't stop anything. And I know that's going to rub some of my listeners the wrong way. But this is the America that I see. Because while society forces me to pick a label and that label is white, I have immersed myself with my friends and people that I call family in the Black Lives Movement. And I see what's happening to them through their eyes and their words. So I take what's happening in this country very seriously and it breaks my heart and it enrages me at the same time. So with that being said, let me read to you the Baldwin quote of the week. And this comes from a report from Occupy Territory, originally published in the July 11th, 1966 edition of The Nation. This is why those pious calls to respect the law, always to be heard from prominent citizens each time the ghetto explodes, are so obscene. The law is meant to be my servant and not my master, still less my torturer and my murderer. To respect the law in the context in which the American Negro finds himself is simply to surrender his self-respect. Once again, we see something written over 50 years ago by Baldwin, still so very, very relevant in the year 2020. Once again, I want to thank my guest and friend, RJ Page, for joining me. And again, you can check his work out on rjpage.com or follow him on Instagram at pagerj13. Watch for me later on this week with another new episode that I want to drop before the first of the month, along with another project I'm working on that I hope I can get everyone's support on. So with that being said, I hope you all have a great week. Be good to yourself and others. I'll talk to you again soon. Peace.